my bonus episode discussing the series Mad Men, which I just finished. I wanted to release this for my listeners because uh, the new season of my podcast has gotten delayed by uh, almost a month. Um, Not quite, but I was hoping to put out the first episode in mid-July, and I couldn't because I've been watching uh, so much Mad Men for the viewing diary that I'm writing for my site, lostinthemovies.com. And those reviews that I'm writing aren't going to appear, uh, in some cases, for another year. But I wanted to get all this done at once. You know, partly I just wanted to keep finishing uh, Mad Men. I was close to the last season. I've been enjoying it for several years, off and on. And uh, the way these viewing diaries work is I write the response right after I see the episode. So I don't know what's going to come next. You know, I picked up a few things by osmosis, but... I want to write kind of a fresh take of how I'm watching this show as it unfolds before me for the first time. So that's this approach, and this is definitely by far the longest series that I've ever taken that approach with. There's 92 episodes of Mad Men. It ran from 2007 to 2015, and I caught up with it between 2018 and now, which is 2021. And uh, the last episodes, as I said, will go up in, in 2022. So I've created a schedule where I'm trying to manage my workflow, and this seemed like something to do all at once uh, early in the summer. And I thought it would take much less time than it did, and it, of course, took much more time. It was about a month and a half between starting season six, the second to last season, and then uh, finishing the the whole show. So as a result, podcasts along with some other projects got pushed back, and I thought nice thing to do would be offer a bonus for all of you uh, there'll be actually a couple more bonuses. I announced this in uh, the most recent little update to the to podcast stream, so you can check that out. I won't reiterate it here, but uh, this was the first bonus I wanted to offer for those who enjoy Mad Men, are curious to hear my thoughts on the whole series, and uh, you know, you'll know you get to hear my specific thoughts on the final episode and each of the final episodes on their own, not knowing what's going to come next uh, in a year, but now I can actually survey everything and and give you my thoughts. And I was also able to read, listen to things about the show because I mostly avoided that while I was writing about it. As I said, I wanted it to be my take. Even if I said things other people said at the time, that's okay. This is just like a first time viewers experience with it. But now I could go back. I could read this whole in-depth time magazine article, which I'll link below along with every, all the other stuff I read, you know, it wasn't a ton of stuff, but a dozen or so articles um, there's a million listicles out there, which I haven't gotten to explore yet. I mean, you know, those things, they make you click through pages often. It's, it's clickbaity fluff, but sometimes that's fun. There was one list of Don's worst to best secretaries that was enjoyable to look at. One thing that really leaps out to me, uh, reading all of this stuff, which is mostly from the time of the last season, the last few episodes, even 2015, uh, 2014, maybe a little bit. Uh, The last season was split into two halves, which are basically two different seasons, but they list them as all season seven. So it's building up toward the end. There's this hype, this buzz. And reading it, it's like, yes, this was the communal experience that I wasn't a part of, except um, standing on the periphery. You know, I was watching some of this unfold at a distance on Twitter. Uh, A few things did get spoiled for me, including the very ending of the show. So I guess that's a big one. But uh, parts of the ending, not the whole thing, but the last bit. Certainly. And I should note here, I guess I didn't mention this at the outset, but this has to be said just in case. You're probably not listening to this if you haven't seen Mad Men. I'm going to talk about the series as a whole here. So I'm going to do the opposite of what I do with Viewing Diary and talk about uh, everything that happened. Not, you know, in detail everything, but like I'm going to acknowledge big plot twists and turns of events. So 
here we go. So give yourself a, a, a second, few seconds to, to shut it off. If that's not what you came here for, stick with the viewing diary and watch it unfold like that. Uh, for um, the, the final episode, I did know that it would end with the Coca-Cola commercial from 1971. I think it had been spoiled for me on uh, maybe a Twin Peaks podcast or something. I write about that a little in my last review, but that... Uh, I knew that image. I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it. And that I discuss in more detail in the written review. So I'll leave that there. But I ended up being, uh, I ended up really enjoying it. It, it played for me, um, not so much because of that last bit, but because of other stuff that happened in the last episode. So anyways, point being, I picked up on that stuff by osmosis, but I was not a part of the viewing experience. And there was only one real episode that I saw any substantial part of. You know, there was probably, I don't know, three or four or five that, over the years, I'm talking a long span of years, 2007 to 2015, I was flipping through the channels, uh, maybe saw a little bit. I remember one time I saw that the director of an episode was uh, Twin Peaks director. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe watched a little of that first or second season. Um, but I, I did not watch the show um, really at all, not even just regularly. So reading these now, it's interesting to look back and have that kind of displaced experience where this is not a show that was on too early for me to watch. Like, this isn't Twin Peaks, where I missed that cultural moment. And I'm going back. I lived through this cultural moment, was very aware of Mad Men, but I wasn't watching it. So now to read this stuff as I'm having my own somewhat more solitary experience, especially near the end, actually, I was watching episodes quite a bit with other people, with family, with friends, uh, all of whom, well, most of whom, not all of whom, had seen the series before, so they kind of knew stuff that was coming, so that was an interesting experience as well. But there's something sort of poignant to that, which fits in with the kind of timescape of the show, I think, where we're going back to this time that everybody has all of these contacts with through their own life, but to varying degrees, if you're at this point, 55 or under, you really have no uh, concrete memory of the 60s. Maybe, you know, if you're if you're 55, you remember like preschool or something, a kind of cartoon you watched in 1969. But really, like anybody middle-aged and uh, younger kind of missed this moment. Now, they caught up with it with various cultural reproductions in the 70s and 80s uh, of the period in the show, you know, covering 1960 to 1970, just really that whole slice of the 60s there. Um, by the time the show came on the air, it was 47 years past. So we kind of gone past that cultural moment of like Field of Dreams, which I don't know if people remember this, but that's a very 60s film that I've written about that way. Big Chill, Wonder Years being probably the prime example where you're showing the 60s to an audience that lived through it the exact same way the characters on screen did, and it's like fresh in your memory. Like, when Wonder Years came out in the late 80s, you could be younger than I am now and just totally remember the 60s as like a teenager, uh, you know? Like, you could be in your mid-30s and be like, oh, yeah, like, I loved, I loved, I remember 1968. That was a good year. I was in junior high or high school or, you know, maybe even college. You'd still be somewhat young at that point. But not with this. This show was created for an audience that didn't live through the 60s, that 
only saw it through reproductions like the Wonder Years. And we've reached a distance at this point. And I've written about this before where sort of nostalgic representations become more and more removed. Like the first incarnation is very fresh and almost like silly. Like, hey, isn't it wild that this was only 15 years ago? Think like Happy Days where they're covering the 50s, like, or, you know, American Graffiti before that. They're covering the 50s 15 years later, same way they were doing with Wonder Years. Then you reach a point as time goes by, I think Forrest Gump is kind of the last of those for the 60s where it's still like, okay, people who are on the younger end of the like audience spectrum, uh, even up to early mid 40s, like will remember this stuff. And after that, you start getting to a point where it's like, okay, we're making these movies for people who don't remember it or, or TV shows or whatever. And often I don't really get quite as much out of those works. They're a little more like museum pieces, you know? And I think initially when Mad Men came on, that was kind of my impression. There was a combination of factors. There was like, first of all, this is a show that's like uh, showing it's it's re a really stylized depiction of the 60s where it's like everything is kind of to the nines and a little exaggerated. And like, look at this time so long ago. Isn't it cool? And all that. And uh, Also, just the fact that it was about advertising and it had this kind of, you know, this slick guy, Don Draper kind of smirking in the thing. I thought this show looks really smug. I don't, I don't know about this. And I always feel that way about uh, big hype shows and movies going in. And sometimes uh, maybe justly so. And then usually when I watch them, I like them maybe sometimes unjustly. So I, I think of like um, a lot of the hyped films of 1999, American Beauty, Fight Club, The Matrix. It was sort of, I sort of resented the buzz around them. Uh, in some cases, long before I saw them, was like, I don't know about this. And a big, speaking of 1999, big cultural product of that year that I had that initial reaction to was The Sopranos. I thought, what is it? Why, why are they, the, the, the praise around this is just too exaggerated. Like, come on, it's just analyze this on TV. This is not having watched it. I finally started watching it a year later, and there was one episode, um, not to get into it too much, where where Tony does sort of like a Jimmy Cagney impression. He's kind of drunk and he's done something we didn't think he would, or he hasn't done something we thought he would, and we're maybe rooting for him to do. And there's like a complexity to it. And as I watched that scene, I thought, oh, this is actually something different. This is, there, there's something more, there's something more meaty going on here than just a fun gangster show. Uh, and, and that was kind of my beginning of my appreciation for that. And I think Sopranos also evolves as it goes along from that, uh, first episode to the last, uh, and we're going to talk about this in relation to Mad Men. So the last episode of Sopranos aired maybe a month before the first episode of Mad Men. And uh, I remember part of the hype around Mad Men was like, hey, this is from one of the people, one of the writers of, of The Sopranos, you know, because Matthew Weiner had written for, or Weiner, I guess is the proper pronunciation, had written for several late seasons of Sopranos and was going to bring some of that sensibility to the advertising world. And it just, uh, it seemed a little pretentious or something about it to me, I don't know. But again, I had felt that way about Soprano, so I was conscious of the fact that, like, maybe when I get over my chip on the shoulder about this, uh, I'll enjoy it. But I, I, I never watched it as it aired. I just, I had too many movie things going on, I think, for me to develop much of a TV habit. Um, other than things my friends, which they did watch a little Mad Men, but for whatever reason, it just... It didn't click. I, 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 these were like when I was living in New York myself, uh, 2007, and I moved out the year later. So I just didn't follow along. There were other shows they watched like Lost and The Office that they kind of got me into. Um, but 
I knew eventually I'd probably get to Mad Men. I mean, when I realized that the show wasn't just going to take place in this kind of uh, early 60s, late 50s swinging kind of era, uh, that's when I got more interested. When I realized, oh, they're going to cover the whole 60s in this. Like the next season will be another year. They're not just going to try to string it out like it's all happening in the same little mini era. Then I thought, wow, watching the 60s evolve, that that's interesting. That that could be very interesting. And I knew at some point I would get to it, but that I'd probably want to watch it all together um, rather than going along as I, as I eventually did with Sopranos. But the interesting thing about Sopranos ending right before Mad Men is when that episode ended, I went back, I had the DVD of the first season, I thought, I want to watch the first episode, and I was shocked when I put it in, Tony looked so young, he looked so skinny, he had more hair, it was like a different person. It was like, oh, the continuity it built up in my mind of the beginning to end of the show is not really there quite as much. And then I recently had the same experience to a certain extent watching the first episode of Mad Men again uh, after finishing the last one. I did a little mini marathon the other night of the first episode, the exact middle, which many think is the best, to the suitcase with Peggy and Dawn staying at the office all night. And then the last episode again. So watching those three and seeing them in kind of succession. But the most striking of them, I think, was re-watching the first. Uh, even just putting in the DVD, and it was a DVD from because I rent these from Netflix. I don't have the stream. I, I used to watch it on Netflix when it was streaming there, but it moved to like, I don't know, Hulu or an AMC app or something I don't have. So I just rent the DVDs from Netflix, which, by the way, if you don't do that, there's so much stuff on DVD Netflix that you can't find anywhere else. It's... Um, it, 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 I am always nervous about when they're going to go out of business because so much of what I do would be impossible without them. But anyways, that's, that's another topic. So, uh, but, but even putting it in, it was like the preview and the announcer's tone and the, the digital quality. It was like, oh wow, this is like a cultural product of 15 years ago. And then the episode unfolds. Everybody looks much younger. The show itself has a little bit of a different feel and it feels less saturated in the period in a weird way. Like there was a scene, I was watching this with my sister and there's a scene where he goes to the mistress's house and she was like, this doesn't feel like 1960, this part. I don't know if it's just because like she's a more modern kind of bohemian girl, whatever, but like, and I was like, yeah, it does. It feels like this is like an HBO prestige drama about the present where the guy goes to his mistress's house. Like other parts feel very 60s. Um, and it, you know, they do a good job from the beginning getting those little details, but it was just peculiar to watch it. And in a way realized they hadn't quite, even though that, that first episode is so good and it establishes so much, they hadn't quite gotten the exact Mad Men vibe yet. Like even the music is very bouncy and like kind of TV-ish at times. Uh, it feels, and the funny thing about it is, so again, this is something about the evolution of shows, not just the era. Because watching this episode, I felt like I did watching that first episode of Sopranos from 1999. Like, I felt like I was watching a late 90s kind of pre-arthouse cable, but but aiming towards that, but not quite there yet, um, a presentation of this stuff. And, but this episode came on after Sopranos ended, when Sopranos had already taken that turn itself. So th that was just fascinating. And also just something about it felt very late 90s. I think that's when uh, Weiner wrote it as well. He first started crafting the idea of Mad Men in 1999. So this there's like a Rat Packy retro kind of vibe to it with all the young guys going around the office looking at the secretaries and all the banter and the music and the costumes. And it reminds me of that moment, like right after Frank Sinatra died, where there had already been kind of a swing revival for a couple years 
in the mid to late 90s. And Sinatra's death just put it into like overdrive and everything was like, hey, remember when everybody had style in the post-war era and they wore their hat a certain way and they all smoked. It was just like this late 90s, early 2000s moment. And Mad Men comes after that, but it kind of captures that. And then, of course, it goes on into the 60s. It gets sort of deeper and darker and richer, although it has those elements from the beginning and and it starts going in a more... um, well, you know, it's about the 60s. It's not about the 50s, which that cultural post-war moment is more about the 50s. So even as the show begins, that's starting to end, but it's still at its like peak. So you're you're getting a snapshot of that moment. And, and that's why the 60s is so great to depict because in the confines of just a single stretch of years, you can see such a fundamental shift and change. And as someone who's obsessed with transformations and witnessing that in like a cinematic or televisual form, to begin with, but also specifically interested in generations and eras and how they evolved, and specifically interested in the 60s for that reason, this was just perfect for me. So the show went on for several years, and uh, I I watched the conversation around it grow. It seemed like it went from being this kind of hot, hip, smug kind of thing to something that was a little more, it was dealt with more, even though they would still do the listicles and who's the best at this and who's the worst and, and sort of like office gossip kind of approach. There was obviously a gravity to it that resembled sort of where Sopranos went as well, because I think, again, Sopranos always a great show, but it starts in sort of a more genre way of a twist. It's like a twist on a genre. By the end, it's like, it could be, uh, you know, an art film. It could be an Antonioni or, or, Fellini or or uh, Bergman or anything like that the way that they're approaching the material they still have story beats that are a tv thing more than a film thing but uh, there's much more room for asides and drifting off into strange places and Mad Men does that too maybe a little less than Sopranos but still pretty dramatically especially by the end and the last few episodes and uh, I'm always a sucker especially for Don's kind of escapes. I was listening to a podcast recently by uh, the Idle Thumbs people who did one of my favorite podcasts on Twin Peaks. I was finally able to listen to their podcast on the last season. And, uh, you know, one of the guys kind of groans. He's like, when we're doing this again, Don Draper gets in his car and like leaves his job in life and drives off into the horizon looking for his identity or something. Like, come on, man, we've this is getting a little old. And I remember at the time, too, seeing picking up on sort of the fringes of conversations around that. Like, man, we've got so many like dark alpha male, twisted, semi-sociopath anti-heroes in TV. That's like the formula. Like, come on. And people were more interested in Peggy and her arc where she is like starts off as a secretary and develops. And her life is very centered around the office and like her responsibilities and fulfilling them and trying not to kind of fall off the edge of that. And that stuff is fascinating too. And I, I think I'm, I'm really glad that that character exists as a through line for the show to give it sort of more complexity and a kind of a yin yang in a way where she and Don complement each other, but serve very different roles often in the narrative. Um, and I've written about that a lot in my viewing diary, but I will admit I'm a total sucker for the, like the John Updike rabbit run, like guy gets in his car and just tries to leave everything behind idea. I'm, I'm so fascinated by that kind of American archetype of like going out to the frontier and, you know, and, and all of the sort of the darkness and the contradictions and the hypocrisy and the, the complexities that that entails as well, but also just on the baseline, like, you know, again, 
drawing all these sort of literary references like and they mentioned this explicitly in one of the last few episodes like Jack Kerouac on the road which was actually never one of my favorite books I should go back and revisit it something about you know the beat style uh, was a little hard for me to connect with at times but but the idea of it you know the the going off and not knowing what comes next and actually I think it's Matthew Weiner it was like an interview there was an oral history I read which Actually, I'm glad I mentioned that. I almost didn't include it in the link, so I'll make sure to throw that in there because that was one of the most informative of the pieces I read. And he talks about wanting to make the last few episodes of Mad Men as like The Fugitive, where you're this guy's on the run. He shows up in a different town, has an episode there. Like he does one episode where Don Draper is in this, his car is broken down in Oklahoma. And it's like, that was my one chance to do like Mad Men, The Fugitive. And Fugitive also an influence on Twin Peaks in sort of an odd, different way. Um, you see the the aspect that Weiner's talking about more in season three of Twin Peaks, where actually there is a bit more of an open road trippy kind of vibe to a lot of the stories in that, particularly some stuff with Cooper. And uh, so, so what I'm getting at with that, I kind of drifted off there myself, but uh, the fugitive, uh, you know, I was familiar with the movie as a kid and I was so fascinated with it, so like in love with this idea of like there was like a freedom to it of like being out and not knowing what's comes next, and just sort of saying one step ahead of something, and you don't know where you're going. I love this idea. And then I remember one night when I was like ten, I talked about this on a, one of my patron podcasts recently, where I actually talked about you know the the 1993 movie, The Fugitive, that inspired all of this. I had a dream where I actually was a fugitive. I was in trouble for something, and I was on the run, and it was terrifying. Like I experienced the dream close to what the reality would be. I woke up and was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's what it's really like." And I think Mad Men does a great job, kind of teasing both ends of that, um, not just with Don's escape fetish, but also his the the sort of the the woozy American dream nostalgia of like his advertising pitches of like approaching it both from the angle of like, Hey, you can be cynical, but this stuff does work. It does connect to something real and emotional, but also recognizing the illusion of it and the darkness and the desperation that lies underneath that. So I, Mad Men, I think does all of those things. And, and as the show goes along, Don's life opens up more. Like the first episode shows him as this kind of man about town bachelor, uh, he, I don't think he wears a wedding ring the whole episode. And then the final moment, he goes back to his suburban home. And that's like the twist at the ending. And of course, they would add more. They'd add the fact of his whole Dick Whitman identity and all of that. But I think, he, you know, he is more anchored down in those first few seasons, just as the 60s is. And they do a great job of doing like a three-pronged thing where they show the era itself, all of the crazy stuff unfolding as the 60s goes along and society becomes a little more chaotic and unhinged and moving at a more rapid pace. They do a good job of showing this in Don's personal life where he's married to like a solid nuclear family, suburban Westchester type of, you know, what you would expect from the fifties. And, uh, that breaks up. He has a crazy binge last weekend where he's drinking all the time and dating these different women and almost ends up with one who's kind of his equal, but then marries his secretary instead. And then it kind of goes in this little bit, I was going to say like a larky direction, but it's not really a lark because his, his marriage to Megan is, is pretty dark and sad and all this stuff, but it has a certain freedom to it. They're up on the, in this penthouse with this vista over the city. She's young, beautiful, is, wants to be an actress, which he doesn't like that much, but you know, that there, there's a certain romance and excitement to that and that, that whole uh, life. 
and then that kind of falls apart and then eventually he's just got nothing nothing in the final episode until he winds up at that retreat and hugs that man in the circle which was one of my favorite scenes so i'll i'll kind of wind things down here i just wanted to talk about these things that were on my mind that uh, aren't as easy to discuss in the written reviews which also you wouldn't even be seeing for a year anyways and and really the main thing i want to do besides that here is invite you to uh, tell me your thoughts on Mad Men, and I, I want to have, now that I can, I want to have more of a discussion about this show, uh, because I'm, I'm kind of freed up by finally having seen it. Although I have to say, as, as fun as that is, and I knew this would be the case, this is why I wanted to capture your experience of watching it as it went along, as I did not with Twin Peaks, which I always regretted. There is something about putting in, in my case, the next disc, you know, queuing up the next episode if you're on Netflix, and like, what's going to happen now? Anything could happen. I don't know. That's that, you know, the freedom that the show uh, embodies or, or the, the freedom the show depicts and its story and the kind of anxiety and excitement around that is also in its form. Like it's embodied by the fact that it's a serialized TV show that continued for all these seasons and years. And the one thing I won't have, um, which maybe I'll get at some point with some show, I've never really had it. I guess I had it with Sopranos. That would probably be the only one where I'm watching the show as it goes along, an ongoing story that I really kind of respect and am invested in, and watching it unfold over years and talking with other people about it, reading what other people are saying and seeing it as it goes. I, I didn't get that with Mad Men, and I'm glad I didn't in the sense that I don't think I would have done a viewing diary at the time. I had other priorities, so I would have not been able to do what I've done and capture my experience watching it. But there is something a little bittersweet about that, looking back at all these these conversations people were having at the time. I guess I had it with the season three of Twin Peaks as well, where I kind of got the best of both worlds. I did the viewing diary and I did the communal experience. But uh, this was sort of on a bigger scale um, and it went on for more years. And that's the last thing I want to talk about, just seeing the show not just as a depiction of the 60s, but a product of the 2007 to 15 era is fascinating, especially now that that era has really passed. Um, the the year after the show went off the air, Trump was elected, uh, all the crazy stuff that's happened since then, coronavirus, um, really more upheaval in a way that resembles what was on the show. And then also, you know, the, the final season is set in 1970 after a lot of that stuff it was unleashed, but it also kind of calmed down a little bit. And it feels like we're in this weird moment of that now as I'm recording this in the summer of 2021, which I think can't last in a way that the post-60s um, sort of drop-off did last. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'll actually get into that on my patron podcast this uh belated for July. It'll come out in August because, again, all this stuff got delayed. Talking about the political moment and just kind of offering thoughts on that. But watching the show now from this era, looking back on that era and how it was part of that era as well as what it was showing, um, there's an interesting little, well, a little nostalgia to that as well, even though that was not an easy time, that, that period, the economic crash. And just, you know, personally, I was in many different places as the show unfolds. So as I mentioned, when the show went on the air, 2007, um, July 2007, I was living in New York. I'd lived there for years. I was living with the same group of people and uh, had just finished college, was kind of trying to get settled in the world and all of this. And when the show ended in 2015, I was living in L.A. 
Um, not really much more stable, uh, you know, employment wise and other things, but, uh, it's interesting that the show begins in New York and kind of ends in California as well over that period in between. I'd lived in Boston. I'd moved around. So that aspect might have been interesting to watch Mad Men in tandem with my own life that way. Instead, I watched it um, during a fairly stable period from 2018 to 21 in terms of what I was doing, where I lived and all of that. So that's interesting too. But anyway, send me your stories, your thoughts, your favorite episodes, your favorite moments. I mean, I haven't talked about the specifics of that at all, but again, that's, that's what the viewing diary is for. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus. I, it was probably longer than I planned. I don't know. I had, I kept having to interrupt it because airplanes are flying. I live kind of near an airfield with little prop planes or whatever. So they're flying around all the time. A lot of airplanes and Mad Men too, but that's another story. Uh, I, one last thing to end on. I love that shot when he's in McCann Erickson and uh, he, Don, he's in that meeting the people are rustling the papers. He looks out the window. He sees the airplane crossing the Empire State Building. I wrote a lot about the kind of significance of that shot going way into the weeds, not the deep end of stuff. I'm sure Weiner and nobody was thinking of, but that was really fun to riff on even connections to like King Kong and, um, and, and uh, like Christianity and all this, all this stuff embodied in like that shot in that sequence and Don standing up and walking out. That is like Mad Men in a nutshell. And of course that episode has so many great images too. Roger playing the organ as Peggy roller skates by Peggy walking into the office with, with uh, her stuff under her arm and her sunglasses on images. In that case, I'd seen some of those images before and uh, it was fun to see them in context so that's it for Mad Men for now. I basically interrupted my flow of Twin Peaks work and podcasts to focus on this show for a month and a half. And I'm, I'm glad I did, but now it's back to the other stuff. And uh, if you want more detailed Mad Men, look up my viewing diary. It's right there in the show notes. Right now, at this very moment, it's up to about halfway through season five, the one that takes place um, in like 66 and 67 and uh, maybe my favorite season, although season six, which is going to come right afterwards in the fall, just keep going week to week. They go up, come up every Monday at 8 a.m. on my site, lostinthemovies.com. Uh, season six, I was a little disappointed with it at first, like, well, they're kind of retreating ground here with his affair and all that. And that might end up that I've heard people call it the worst season. That might be my favorite in the end, just because of the stuff, some of the stuff they do with that. But uh, and that was a lot of fun to write about, especially the second half of that season. So that's coming out this fall. So just keep tuning in week to week, and then there'll be a pause. Next summer, 2022, I will be doing both halves of the season. And you can read all the past ones. They're all organized in one directory, which is, again, linked below. So thank you for listening, and I'll be out next week with my first regular episode of the of uh, this podcast, Season 3 which is on the social network. So see you then. Thank you for your patience. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Mm-hmm.